Jesus, in our text today, talks about fire. There's been a lot of talk about fire around lately. I was up in Park City when that fire started there, and it looked like a bomb had gone up. Billows of clouds everywhere. And I heard on the news that they were starting fires in order to stop the fire, literally fighting fire with fire. Uh, in you know, starting those little controlled fires ahead of the fire so it stops right there and there's nothing left to burn. That was kind of an interesting thing. And I have to tell you, and Dennis will attest to this, that here at First Baptist Church, a good portion of our job is putting out fires, isn't it, Dennis? <laughs> we spend a lot of time putting out fires, although there's a lot of water often involved in things around here that go wrong. Uh, there was a flooded sink yesterday during a wedding, and I rolled up my pant legs and took care of that. And sometimes there's fires to put out between people, and how I get involved in that, I don't know, but it happens. And uh, we're, we spend a lot of time putting out fires and trying to keep fires down and, and trying to keep them from starting in the first place. And yet here is Jesus saying... I've come to start a fire, and in fact, I wish it was going now. Here, the Prince of Peace advocating division, saying, I didn't come to bring peace. This sounds contradictory to me. The one who told us not to worry is stressed out. And the one who was to bring people together is talking about pulling people apart. What do we make of this Jesus, is he just having a bad day? Is it just one of those days? It's a fire from hell, you know, bringing down the fire from heaven kind of day, right? And there is kind of this picture, I don't know if you remember the story of Elijah calling down the fires of heaven to squelch the the sacrifice and beat out the gods of Baal. But apparently Jesus is either having a bad day or he's got a a point to make. I suggest it's probably the latter. But what do we make of this? What is Jesus really trying to say? And I think this is a challenging text. There's a few things I would say about it as we go into it, though. And the first thing is I would offer that this this section, I think, as we read it, is probably less prescriptive and a little more descriptive of the kingdom of God. And what I mean by that is that maybe this is not so much Jesus's purpose that is to bring fire and division, but certainly it is the result of the kingdom of God that Jesus heralds. There is division, as Jane was pointing out, because of who Jesus is, the kind of Messiah he turned out to be, and people's expectations about all of that. It has caused divisions for two millennia and continues to cause division today. Second thing I would say is that when I hear mother against daughter and son against father uh, and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, like he really had to say that, right? That's a given. <laughs> you know, that's just the normal, natural way of things, right? <laughs> we didn't have to bring that up. But when I hear these things, quite frankly, there is 
I got to tell you, if you're like me, in the world we live in, in, in this day and age, in my own family, there is no kind of religious fervor that would divide my family in the way that Jesus is describing. Believe me, if something could tear our family apart, my brothers and sisters, it would have happened a long time ago, right? <laughs> but without belaboring this too much, and without a whole bunch of background, which you guys know I can get way lost into, uh, but what I want to say is, in the first century, the family, what was called the paterfamilia, was the primary social and economic structure of the first world Palestine and the Roman world in particular. Jesus came to reimagine these structures and, in fact, to kind of tear them apart. Jesus confronted and, uh, and clashed with all of the social structures of his day. And this is one of them, the, f the notion of the family and what that family uh, is. Jesus came to reimagine these structures and suggest that a new one was where the one who does the will of God is my brother and my mother, right? Remember that text? Jesus is kind of reimagining a new kind of structure. And so when, when he talks about the family structure falling apart, he's not just talking about you know, people within a house. He's talking about the whole way in which life was structured economically, socially, religiously, and in every other kind of way you can think of. So it's not just a conference, it's not just an issue of, of family uh, life, but, but of whole society's life. Thirdly, I would say this, that the word, this word comes to the Lucan community at a time when indeed they were experiencing, the, the people who first read Luke we're experiencing divisions between families and traditions and ways of life. People were being asked to leave the synagogues. Families were dividing over whether or not they were going to be followers of the way, followers of Jesus, or continue in the Jewish traditions they were brought up in. And that caused all kinds of division. And for them, this was an, an expected, the fact that it in Luke, they read that this was an expected outcome of following Christ was perhaps some kind of comfort to them as they face the reality that their choices have alienated people from their lives. But all of it kind of begs the question, as, as I read what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, I have come to bring about division that is healthy, that is good, that is promoting of the kingdom of God. And it begs the question, well, when is division good? And I have to say this is a, this is a tough question. Because I would like to say, this is, this is my answer, uh, when you're right and the people you're opposing are wrong. Right? And of course, uh, generally for me, that's when I'm right, right? Or when I'm talking, and everyone else is listening. And, you know, if they choose not to listen, then division is good. You should just go on about your business because I'm right. <laughs> and uh, therefore, that's okay. and if you disagree with me, then that division is pretty good. Oftentimes, we kind of want to look at it that way, right? If, if, if we're right and someone disagrees with us, well, then, you know, they can, they can choose to go at their peril, right? They can move on.
But it's not that simple. I wish it was. I wish it was that simple of being right and wrong, black and white, stark lines, absolutisms. We often, we, we long for things to be that way. We, we beg for them to be that way. And we try to structure our religious life in that way. We have tried to structure it that way. Which is probably why there is still so much division among our people. Because so often we feel like we are right. We are right. And we can wax philosophic. We can write volumes. You want to see some ugly Christians. I, mean, I want to point out some ugly Christians. If you were to, if you have a month to spend, pull out your Luther and Erasmus. Two people that we have a lot to thank for, for our, our, the world, you know, the Christian world we live in today. But Luther and Erasmus hated each other. And I mean hated each other. Luther would write the most nasty things about this man and Erasmus was no picnic himself. And they would argue back and forth, both of them so confident in their righteousness and their rightness to the point that they just despised one another. That's the kind of division. And they were both convinced they were right. about. And, and if we were to read it today, you would go, really, this is what they're arguing about? It seems a little petty, but because uh, we've resolved those issues. But it begs another question. How do you know when you're right? How do we know when we're right? And again, I would say that's easy. Just ask me. I'll tell you. I'll tell you if you're right or not, right? I'll shoot you straight. <laughs> I wish. I wish it were that easy, right? <laughs> but seriously, we all think, we, you know, we have the power of our convictions that tell us when we are right. And sometimes we can back it up with scripture or science or some other factoid or statistics. I love statistics to prove I'm right. That's always fun. And I loathe to take, take this whole thing on because, you know, people who shoot abortion doctors and spew hate at funerals, they think they're right. People who think women should not be in the pulpit, they think they're right. People who insist that the real day of worship is Saturday, feel they are in the right. right? When, I, when I stand for gay people and immigrants, I think I'm in the right, and a lot of other people think I'm wrong. So how do you know? How do you discern that? How do you, how do you grab onto that? How do you get a sense of righteousness? I think it's difficult, and more difficult than a lot of people who who claim it, probably is. Because here's the problem. In spite of what Jesus has just said here on his bad day, he came to be the one who draws us together. He came that we might be one. He's told us that in John. Lord, I pray that they might be one just as you and I are one. Preaching, praying about you and me. And this means that in spite of our differences, our oneness must transcend those differences. We must overcome those things that divide us 
and become one as Christ would have us. This means that lines in the sand and absolutes about things are generally not that helpful. And yet there are times when one ought not compromise. There are times to stand up for what is right. There are times, there comes a time when one must say, this is wrong. And we can quibble about what those times have been in history. Nazi Germany, civil rights, slavery. But there are times, we can think of them, when it's important to say this is right and this is wrong. And it seems absolute. But when is that time? You can tell that I hesitate to even make a list or suggest a list. And I need to tell you that right now you're getting my opinion about all of that. And so you need to weigh what I say with a particular grain of salt, I suppose. But I will suggest that perhaps there are some times when it's appropriate. When one side advocates a word that inspires hate and the other side inspires love, always stand on the side of love. Always stand on the side of love. The greatest commandment is this, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love, 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 love. God is love, it says in 1 John. There's a lot of love going on in the Bible. I get the feeling Jesus thinks that's the most important thing. So if someone's siding with love and someone's siding with hate, I encourage you, choose love. You'll be happier. I'll be happier. The world will be a better place. When one group is trying to dominate over another, Jesus said this when he was talking about when people were arguing about who should be first and who should be in charge of everybody. Jesus said this, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Jesus says, You must be a servant of one another. And by that, you'll herald in the kind of kingdom of God I'm talking about. Jesus really confounds the way the world is structured, this kind of hierarchical system, and he turns it on its head. And basically what Jesus says is, you need to see everyone out there as your equal. And we must preserve the dignity, the humanity, and to see every person out there as a blessed child of God, joint heir, the kingdom of God along with you, and nothing less than that. Well, that's a tall order. But preserving the dignity and humanity, acknowledging the divinity that God has placed by God's Holy Spirit in every person, In other words, seeing the face of Christ and even the lowest around us is one of the highest callings we have as followers of Christ. And so it it is a direct confrontation of that when we 
affirm something that denies the dignity and humanity of anybody. So I would say that's a, that's a time when there is a division. Those who are attacking the humanity and dignity of a group of people or a person and those who are standing up for it. And I would, I would invite you to stand up for it. The reason separate but equal never stood a chance is because it created a different class of person that was lower. And it gave way only after people stood up and said, this is wrong. This is wrong and it must stop and it must stop here. And they got beat for it. They got jailed for it. They got hosed down for it. They got attacked by dogs for it. They got spit on for it by a bunch of people who thought they were right. But they were wrong. Division sometimes has to take place. When human life or dignity stands in the balance. When people are being treated as anything less than beloved children of God. When justice demands it. When compassion demands it. When the gospel is at stake. Ooh. See, now I've gotten into a lot of vague area again. When the gospel is at stake. Oh, I've seen many churches divide. When someone stood up and said, nothing less than the gospel is at stake in this division. But I would say that's true and then it becomes an issue of trying to discern together what is at the heart of the gospel and wrestle with that. And this is really kind of where I'm getting at when it comes to this. You know, it seems like, frankly, we, what would serve the kingdom of God best, better than division, is some, what I would call, righteous tension. That is, what would serve the kingdom of God better is when I feel like I'm right, and you feel like you're right, that we begin by saying, you know what, I love you, and we can work through this. And between us, I think we can discern what is right. We can come together as brother and sister in Christ, and we can work. And maybe we walk away going, I feel right, you feel right, and we're never going to see eye to eye on this. But we must find a way forward that honors God and honors each other in some way. Sometimes that means compromise, but not always. It does mean that we must listen to each other. It does mean we must try to understand where the other is coming from. It does mean that we respect each other's personhood. I think those are hard. But I tell you what, if we master that, if we're able to look at people who disagree with us 
some who even hate us, and say, you know what, I disagree with you, but I really want to understand you. I really want to hear your heart. I really want to know why this is so important for you. Man, if we can master that, Jesus will indeed be the Prince of Peace. Amen? Jesus will indeed be the Prince of Peace. Division division never feels good. It never feels quite right. And yet, it is also one of the ways we grow. We should never shy away from controversy or difficult conversations or confrontations even for the sake of just keeping peace. We're never going to get anywhere like that. The tension of healthy conflict can help one better hone one's faith. And we as a group, it can help us really dig deep and find out what our faith is really about. And so in that sense, division that inspires growth is healthy. But it must ultimately lead to our oneness. Amen? We must ultimately come back to Christ transcending those things which keep us apart. And the more we do that, the more we become. And even as I look out here, I see how very different we are from each other and from the rest of the world. And I think, what a testimony. What a testimony to the transcendence of Christ's love and how it can bring peace. How division can be mended. How conflict can be overcome. And how oneness and unity can be achieved even in diversity. I think that's what the kingdom of God really looks like. Amen? Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we would never ask for division, and yet here you are suggesting that it has a time and a place. And yet we know that ultimately your hope, your desire, what you stood for and died for and rose again for was that we might be one with you, one with God in heaven. Help us to live in the tension of conflict. Help us to learn from it and grow from it. And may we indeed be the blessed peacemakers that you have called us to be in whatever way we are able to do that. In all of this, may we strive to see the face of Christ in every person, even those with whom we have conflict and division. We ask all this in the mighty and powerful name of Christ. Amen.